Thank you for listening to our weekly Baylife Church podcast. Make sure you visit our website, baylifechurch.org.au, where you can subscribe to our podcast and iTunes so that you'll never miss another message. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Well, it's good to see you all. Aren't we living in crazy times? Crazy people in crazy times. You know, I just, just look down here and I see an aisle here and an aisle here. Isn't it good that we're now sitting in first class? We just need the seats a bit, a bit wider. We just need the stewards to come down with the, you know, the wine and the cheese. And just look out for that. But we're not sitting in cattle class anymore. Isn't that good to know? Don't get used to it. No, maybe you should. And uh, I remember I got upgraded once <clears throat> to first class. I actually went up to, uh, and here's a little trick. I thought, well, I'm, I'm sort of dressed up in almost a suit, but good, good clothes anyway. And I actually went up cheekily and I said to the, uh, the, the ladies at the desk in the, the gate lounge, I said, look, I just wanted to help you ladies out. <clears throat> I said, if you need anybody <clears throat> to be upgraded to first class, I said, I'd like to volunteer <laughs> to help you out. Well, I had a good laugh. Anyway, about five minutes before the, the call came out, they called me up there and they said, look, we've upgraded you to first class. So I went in behind the curtain, I sat down in first, <coughs> first class, I got my wine and cheese or whatever it was, and I turned around and said, suckers, <laughs> back in cattle car. It's the only time I've ever been in, uh, uh, I think, no, I think it was business class, to be honest, but anyway, it was all good. So uh, it's good to see you, and uh, you know, during this, this time, over these last six months or so, I've been looking at a lot of YouTube, a lot of social media, all that sort of thing. Some of it I turn off, but I've been learning so much. And uh, I just wanted to share some of that wisdom with you this morning. Here, here's one post that came up. It said, I got mugged by six dwarves yesterday. Not happy. <laughs> Another post says, if you uh, can't think of a word to say... Uh, if you can't think of a word, say, I forgot the English word for it. That way people think you're bilingual instead of an idiot. <laughs> I'm claiming that one for myself. I think I'm going to use that a few times. Uh, the other day I got called uh, pretty. Well, actually, the full statement was, you're pretty annoying, but I focus on the positive. <laughs> what a great way to view life. And uh, this morning I want to talk about living with passion. And uh, that's my wife's middle name. So living with passion. Yeah, it's a long middle name, but uh, uh, my wife's very passionate. And uh, uh, that's, that goes across the spectrum, as you can imagine, being both of us being creatives. And uh, when you're creative, you sort of tend to bash into all the different uh, comfort zones that are, are out there. Ever experienced that? No. Okay, just us. Okay, I'll go back. Oh, I can't, I've forgotten the English word for it. Um, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> Living with passion. You know, it's an interesting thing about passion. Passion is the great communicator. Imagine somebody getting up there and just saying, we need to talk about passion. Because passion, the, the, uh, the English word passion. Oh, I've, I've forgotten what... Uh, it, there's no passion in it. Who's going who's gonna to catch a flame from that? Passion is a great communicator. It transfers belief. 
It imparts belief. If somebody's passionate, it's like they're on fire. People love to come to a fire. I don't know about you, but every time the fire engine comes whizzing past and we're out driving, my wife wants to follow it. She wants to see what's going on. What's happening? What's on fire? Somebody, you know, uh, Facebook the other day in the, you know, you know, you're from the Bay when somebody heard a big loud explosion. Well, there were 500 million comments of, oh, it was the, it was the aircraft, you know, um, the sound barrier. Oh, no, there's an explosion at uh, latitude. Oh, no, they might be blowing up shells. And Curiosity yeah. is an interesting thing, and it's fueled by passion. Yeah. Why do we need to be passionate people? Because it's a great communicator. It's a communicator of life. It's a communicator of ideas, of new things. Passion the word enthusiasm comes from the word entheos. I can't remember what the English word for... It means the spirit within. It's the spirit within. People get drawn to people who are passionate, where there's life, where there's excitement, where there's something new, where there's leadership. See, where there's passion, there's leadership. Are you hearing me? People come and follow. They want to see what's going on and why the church today needs to be more passionate than ever. It's because the, the world needs people who they can follow, who can they, they can trust in, who can take them to places that they don't want to go because they need to go there. Wow. Passion. See, you don't need to know a lot. You just need to be passionate. No, passionate, sorry. I've got a lot of passion. I had a lot of passion with my wife. Uh, well, you know, going through the... the uh, the, the ritual, I guess, of dating and all that sort of thing. My wife lived in Adelaide. I was in New Zealand at the time. And we only spent a few weeks together before uh, I proposed. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I got passionate. And the passion's still there. And, you know, I said to her when we, were, we, we moved over to New Zealand, we were pastoring a church there, and uh, uh, every now and then we had this little hall cupboard down down the hallway to the bedrooms. It's only a tiny house. And I'd hide in that cupboard and I'd hear her coming. And then I'd burst through the door. Well, she would scream, as you can imagine. And then so I just grabbed her and said, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I just wanted to cuddle you. <laughs> and so I, I'll just calm you down. You need, you need some loving and attention and some support. And, uh, and so I've kept the marriage alive not by doing that so much anymore. In fact, I've stayed alive by not doing that so much anymore. So it's, uh, it's all interesting. We need to live with passion. We need to make life interesting. Life has got to be an adventure. Not for us, but for others. See, we're not called just to live for ourselves. We're called to live for others. I want to share a verse because uh, this is based on Scripture. That's good to know, isn't it? Uh, it comes from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, with every effort, with every fiber of your being, with all your planning, with all your uh, resource allocation. I want you to guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. The root word in the, in the Hebrew I just can't think of the Hebrew word. But, uh, but it, it means you're going out and you're coming in. It paints the picture of a walled city like Jerusalem, which we're going to have a look at. Jerusalem's walls in the time of Nehemiah. 
In Nehemiah, the walls were broken down. The city was in ruins. It had been destroyed. The gates were ripped apart. The walls were knocked down. There was rubble everywhere. He couldn't even get his donkey through the dung gate. The dung gate, this is north up the top, south down the bottom. The uh, city of David uh, uh, went down a hill, so north to south. Down the bottom, past the dung gate, was a valley. And as you can imagine, the, the gates of the city, different things happened. All the rubbish, all the waste went through the dung gate. They took it out, they threw it into the valley, they burnt it, they got rid of anything that was of no use anymore. This is a really important gate, don't you think? Speaks of our life. And we'll get on to that. But the sheep gate, the old gate, the east gate, the horse gate. Sheep gate, where they brought all the sheep in. You see, there's an interesting thing about cities. This city is like our heart. It's like our heart. It's like our life. You see, the, the, the walled city was not just a defensive position where we close off the whole thing and we don't let anybody in. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. It's about your goings in and your comings out. It's about what goes in, what happens while it's in there and where it goes from there. But you know, a city is going to build up its poisonous trash unless there's a way of getting rid of it. Unless it's regularly gotten rid of. Now, if that, if that city was besieged and all, the whole thing was shut up, then you'd get all that rubbish and you'd throw it over the walls down onto the enemy. But if that's our heart, and that's speaking of our life, we're not called to do that. How many people, when they're under pressure spew all their garbage onto other people let out all the, the hurt the hatred the bitterness onto other people around them hello i've done it i remember that time do you remember that no we do it we we do it all the time but you know the bible says there's one place that we can take all that hurt and that bitterness and that anger and that frustration and that disappointment and that's to the foot of the cross. That's you know, into that place where we can meet Heavenly Father and he can, we can throw ourselves on his mercy and he can lift us up in his grace again. We should be going to our Father, not to social media, not to Facebook, to complain and criticise about things. As Christians, we should be more passionate and more life-giving. Let's find the things that we can be for, not against. You know, the attacks on the prime ministers and on the, on, the, on the premiers for this and that. Look, I've got my own opinions about things. I could have handled it much better. Couldn't we all? They're people. Behind their leadership role, they are people. Flesh and blood people. And I'm sure many of them weep in their, in their own uh, homes at the th distressing things that they see what if they do this it's wrong because people are against it if they do this they're wrong let's take it and say god we come into the heavenlies we pray for wisdom for our leadership let's not as christians get in there and condemn and and destroy and throw the bitterness let's find the dung gate which we can take into the heavenly place we can we can slay it in the outer, outer courts of the temple and we can come into his presence again with thanksgiving that's what the Bible says, how we guard our heart. One of the ways we guard our heart, we come in with thanksgiving. The Bible says, guard your heart. Come into that place with thanksgiving. 
It's amazing when you come in with thanksgiving and you're thankful for this and you're thankful for that, you can't help yourself but get passionate about all the good things that are happening. We're in a free country. Thank God we don't have the politics that are in America. Hello? Let's be thankful. We're in a great country. Somebody was telling this morning um, that there's, there's no COVID cases up and down the East Coast, only in Sydney. Aren't we great living in this place? We live in this place. Tourists come and go. We live here. How good is that? We've got koalas and kangaroos. We've got all sorts of things here. We've got older drivers. Oh, hang on. I'm being positive. Uh, I mean, we've got, you can go to any beach here and it's beautiful. You know, the photographs that have been taken and the paintings that are around the place, we are in a wonderland. We start coming with thanksgiving. It's an attitude of gratitude, of thanksgiving. You know, when we say grace, what is it? We're actually reminding ourselves of the grace, God's help who helps us to move forward. That's what grace really means, helping us move forward. Giving his favour, whatever's necessary to move forward. And we come in every day and we thank God for the, the things. And you know, it starts to change our attitude and it stokes the fire of passion within us that there are good things around us. Let me tell you, we've been to the lowest of the low in our life. You know, we've lost everything. We've lost our house, our home. Well, they're both the same thing, really. Um, <laughs> I just was trying to get the English word for it, but I, I couldn't. We even lost our sanity there for a while, but we're starting to get it back. I don't know if it's a good thing, but, but you know, every now and again, it's all good. But we need to guard our heart. And, and, and cities, it's not just about a defensive measure where people come in, uh, in, you know, when the enemy's coming to attack and they come out of their farms and they come in, they lock up the gates. Cities were spheres of influence. Cities were places of trade. Things were brought into the city, it might have been fish, and they added value to them. They would fillet the fish or they would put it into a stew or they would dry the fish or whatever and then they would sell it again to other people. In a city, value is added. In your heart, value should be added that you can give out again. See, it's about our going, goings out and our comings in. See... What are you allowing into your life? What are you doing with it? And where are you sending it? You see, you see the interesting thing about the, about the gates of the city is that they allowed things in and they didn't allow things in. They were places of authority. You see, there's a culture... Uh, out there, it might have been the Philistine culture, it might have been the farming culture or whatever, and there's a culture in the city. Culture is simply the things we do and the way we do them. You know, everybody cooks or eats or has meals, but different cultures cook in different ways. They use different things. I should have been uh, Indian, Mexican, Italian, Mediterranean, Thai, based on all the food I like. I'm sure I got the DNA in there somewhere. They all cook differently. You look at the different art that's around. You look at indigenous art. They, they um, you know, paint pictures or, or whatever, but they use mainly dots and certain colours. You look at the uh, Renaissance painters and they do a different, different way. 
Culture is simply the things we do and the way we do them. We all go to bed at night. Most of us. Unless you're on shift work. But some people will sleep on the floor. I remember going to Fiji to, to minister and uh, we stayed in a pastor's house. It was a, like a concrete little bungalow thing. And the, the mattress was like that thin, you know, and it was a concrete bed. And I tell you, I was getting sore hips and things. And I went to him and said, oh, look, uh, you wouldn't have another mattress, would you? He said, no, we gave you ours. <laughs> if I could have crawled under the bed, I would have. You idiot. We, we, we all have do things, but we can do them in different ways. See, the culture of the kingdom is the culture that's in, say, that city. The culture that's in your heart, the things you do and the, the way that you do them is different to somebody else. But we need to have the culture of the kingdom. What God tells us to do and how we are to do it. How we are to treat others, how we are to treat ourselves. Often it's reversed to what the world says. See, there's a clash of cultures going on. Yes, we can, we can learn from other people and that's why the gates can stay open and people can come in and we can learn. But you know the other interesting thing about the gates of the city? The strength and the vibrancy and the vitality and the life of the city was not in the, in the, in the walls, but it was in the uh, in, in ingenuity of the gates. Because gates speak of authority. Remember, Samson went and, and basically tore the gates off the Philistine cities and he carried them mile, 13 miles away. Basically, he was saying, um, I'm, I'm taking away your authority. You see, Nehemiah, when he heard that Jerusalem was in, lying in waste that there was in rubble, the, the walls were down, it was rubble around, the gates were knocked down. What he was most upset about was people were living in reproach. They were living subsistence. They weren't getting ahead. They were just surviving day after day after day. There was no sphere of influence. There was no trade in the city anymore because they, they, they couldn't use it. And so because there was no trade, there was no value added, and so they were just getting by. How many people around us do we know that are just getting by and they don't have the passion and they don't have the kingdom culture and they don't have a future and a hope? That's a good thought, isn't it? You see, why we need to guard our heart is not for us, not to close off so that we don't get hurt. It's so that we stay vibrant and positive and a passion and that we're a storehouse and that we're a trade center and that we're an encouragement center for others then the whole region can grow and can prosper. They can bring what they've got into the city. We can add value to it and we can send it out again. Wow. But you know the interesting thing about the, the gates is that there were two sets of gates, one after the other. It wasn't just one lot of gates. And in between those sets of gates, they might be from here to here, they might have been further than that. But in between that space was the place the Bible says that the elders would sit and they would impart their knowledge, that um, judges would sit and judge cases. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? 
that it became a soapbox. Some of them would have a, like a, a, a level above them where somebody could stand up and people would sit and watch and, and, they'd, and they'd preach. And the prophets would often come there and they would declare certain things. It's in the gates of the city where, where um, uh, Absalom would sit and would try and convince other people that he was a better king than his father, David. It was in the gates of the city that, uh, that David heard that his son Absalom was killed. It was in the city that the, 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 the prophets would prophesy um, God's blessing or God's uh, destruction or judgment. You see, it was a transition space from one lot of gates to another. And these different gates, the sheep gate and the east gate, I'm sure they probably didn't have that at the dung gate. You know, let's just get rid of this stuff. But at the other ones, the fountain gate, the valley gate, people would sit and they'd catch up with people. It's where you would sign legal documents. Because justice didn't need to be done, it needed to be seen to be done. So there were so many people milling around, you had all these witnesses who, who, who would be the witnesses to that agreement. That's why the gates were places of authority. It was a transition time, a transition space. It was Dr. Ed Cole years ago who said, the way you leave is the way you enter. If I was to walk out of this building, I would leave and I would enter the way that I left. So my clothes haven't changed. The only time we change, people, people will leave their marriage or some situation and move somewhere else, hoping things will change. But unless there's a tradition, a, a, a transition, unless there's a, a, a change process takes place, you will, you will enter the way you left. Are you hearing me? So these gates were really important because when you go through those gates, you stop, you might talk to somebody, they might encourage you, they might uh, sign a little legal document for you or whatever. And by the time you went through the gate process, you could be changed. You could be free, free of debt. Enter the gates with thanksgiving, the Bible says. How good is that? You see, that's why the gates of the city and all these different gates, things happened to different places. There was the fountain gate. Now, people would sit around and, and talk and chat and so on. It's that tra uh, transition time in the gates and between the gates that is so important that gives you authority or strips you of authority. So when Nehemiah was there and he, he, he started at the dung gate, when he first went to um, Jerusalem and he saw the rubble and so on, he went out at night and he started at the dung gate right down the bottom because right down the bottom there's a valley. And he came up on his little donkey. The little donkey couldn't go too far because of the rubble. And he started to survey the thing and said, we need to make a change. All the rubbish, all the trash went out there, discarded. Of course, the authorities, the, the gates speak of authorities in our life. And so he began to get people to work out the front of their own home. To rebuild the wall and to rebuild the gates. And as we do that and as we come together, we can build such a great, huge kingdom city uh, that we've got so much passion, so much excitement, so much going on. We'll welcome people in, but the culture of the city will be stronger than the culture of, that comes in. 
and that we can't help it, but add value to people. We're lifting people up. We're encouraging them. We're setting them on their way again. They go through a process of transition, and they leave better than when they came in. Why do we need to guard our heart with all diligence? We need to keep the fire uh, of passion stoked in our lives because we've got something to give to help other people, because people are relying on other people to come and help. That city itself... It was laid in waste for many, many years until Nehemiah, somebody from the outside, came in and said, hey, I'm going to work, work through the pain. I'm going to make a decision and a strong decision to get in and to fix this thing. I'm going to find the resources to, to, to go and do it. I'm going to encourage people and push through all the rubbish until we get that rebuilt because I don't want people living in reproach anymore. We're in, when we're in a, uh, an era and a time where people are just living day to day and they can't see any further. They're just getting through the day because they can't see further. We are the sort of people that need to be saying, hey, there's a future and a hope for us. Lift your eyes up and begin to see the, the things that are ahead of you, not just the day to day. That's why we need to guard our heart with all diligence. With diligence, we're talking about planning. We're talking about resource allocation. You look back at Nehemiah. He planned. He went out there and he, he, he went around the whole city and said, well, this needs to happen. This, this is how we're going to do it. He went and got the, 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 the king to, uh, to authorize the cutting down of lumber and supp other supplies to bring it in. We need to get the resources and the things to help us to help other people. It's not all about us. But if that city is not strong... If that city doesn't have the ability to be able to bring things in, to have the authority to shut things off uh, when it needs to be shut off, and it doesn't have those transition spaces, then that city's going to be lying ruins. And the whole region is going to be in subsistence. But I tell you what, we've got something called kingdom culture. What we do and the way we do it that is greater than what's in the world. You hearing me this morning? So, um, I could preach all day. Um, the Bible says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, an evil man out of the evil of his heart brings forth evil things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our outflowings, the things we're focused on, uh, how we speak, uh, the places that we go, all come out of the culture that's in the heart. I'm not talking about sometimes, you know, we misspeak and sometimes we just let things out. And, but when somebody is continually doing those things, if you're so happy and so excited and so passionate, then you can't help but get the stuff out that's on the inside. There's more pressure coming from the, from the inside out than there is from the outside in. See, the authorities is the legal right. It's the legal right. Some, sometimes, so, so they, began to, they began to rebuild and they, 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 they rebuilt the gates by getting the beams in place and the bolts in place and then put up the, the gate system. You know those little hinges that can move a great wooden door? Just tiny little hinges. I would refer to them as a cultural hinge. Because they will open the gates and close the gates and allow things in and not allow things in. And that's the yes and no. That's the setting boundaries in our own life, not just to protect ourselves, but to protect the passion and the vibrancy 
and the energy and the zeal that is necessary to help others. How many people have re- don't have boundaries in their life? And I know that, you know, I'm not saying I'm, uh, I'm clean on this, but we don't put the boundaries in in our own life and we end up bitter. Bitter because other people have come in, taken everything from us and we lie in ruins and we've got no more to give. Because we don't know how or we're not prepared to shut the gates. Wow, that's a thought. I'm talking about how do we move forward this morning. And I want to talk about, I want to talk about decision this morning. Decision is an irrevocable uh, allocation of resource. A choice between two or more alternatives. The act of reaching a conclusion or making up one's mind. It's firmness of a character or action and it's determination. You know, making decisions requires you cutting off alternatives. We've been packing house because we're moving in in a week or two. And we've moved about, I don't know, 15 or 16 times. And just get, it's such a pain. I hate it because then you just unpack. But you've got to decide, what am I going to take? You know, I've got this really nice thing here. Do we take that? Have we got room for it? Are we ever going to use it? haven't used it in five years, but we're keeping it just in case. Every decision involves emotional energy. And so when you're going to make a major decision, you don't make a major decision when you're under major pressure or you have low energy. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired or sick. When your defences are down. Because it takes emotional energy to make decisions. We get tired out from sorting out and packing boxes. Not the physical, the mental, the emotional. Because we have to cut off. We have to say, no, we're not taking that. Yes, we're taking that. Oh, that was a, that was a Christmas present for somebody. We hope, you know, you know, if we give it to the op shop, we hope they don't come and buy it again and rescue it. <laughs> we used to have this horrible painting of a, like a, um, you know, one of those uh, Spanish conquistadors, you know, uh, with that big helmet thing. And it was all dark colours and so on. And between our friends and us, we kept gifting it to each other whenever there was a birthday, anniversary, whatever. That was the thing that got passed around. Oh, surprise! (laughs) Here's this... Oh, thanks. So they had to hang on to it to the next anniversary. So we would make up anniversaries (laughs) to gift it. When When you're making lots of decisions all the time, it takes up emotional energy, doesn't it? So if you're, if you're dealing with a, a marital issue or whatever, communication requires major emotional energy. So don't confront things when you are emotionally discharged. That's a good thought. Don't make major life-altering decisions when you're emotionally discharged or vulnerable. Hello. You find the appropriate times. To decide means to arrive at a solution that ends uncertainty or dispute. From the Latin, this is a great word. I don't know how to pronounce it, but, you know, I'm 
just can't think of the English word for it, but means to cut off. A decision is an irrevocable allocation of resource. It requires attention. You know, when I uh, was dating my wife, I was living in New Zealand. We had planted a church. She was in Adelaide. We spent a few weeks together. Um, I knew she was the one for me, and so uh, I tried to. Uh, you know, I worked out, I planned, I thought about, how am I going to ask her to marry me? So, of course, I was down in her city. I didn't know her city all that well. And so I found a, um, uh, an Italian restaurant. And uh, so after the Sunday night service, because she was involved in a very large church uh, on team there, and, uh, and so we, we planned to have... I popped the question at this romantic Italian restaurant. Well, that was fine. We're sitting down to the meal. I'm thinking, okay, right. What am I going to say? How am I going to do it? You know, all, all the nerves. Uh, because uh, when you ask the question, you have to have decided something. You have to allocate resources. Hello, the ring. And, uh, and so anyway, I was sitting down. I was just, you know, music was going. I think, yeah, we're ready to do this. And in through the door walks the American guest speaker, uh, from the, the church that night and, and somebody we, we knew and sat at the table next, oh, there you are, we'll come and sit next to you. No! And so all night they chatted to us. I was just getting up the courage. Oh, you know, I wanted to just sort of talk to her like this behind the, the, the menu. Nothing. I only had till the next day because then I was flying out again. What do I do? So anyway, I said, well, let's, let's go for a drive. Where do you suggest? Oh, let's go up to Windy Point. Windy Point. Windy, there's a car park up there. Windy Point. So we went up to Windy Point and we sat in her little um, Toyota Celica and, you know, it wasn't all that comfortable or, or, or romantic. And so I'm thinking, now, now how do I do it? Like, you know. So, um, so I said, oh, look at the stars. Don't they remind you of eternity? I think, you idiot, why did you say that? So dumb. And uh, anyway, I just turned around and said, look... Uh, just thinking of eternity, would you, uh, would you be interested in spending the rest of your life with me? I'd like to marry you. Really? Really? Oh, oh. And that's when I brought the ring out. So you don't allocate the resources until you... <laughs> and the rest is history. So, uh, uh, so, uh, so there you go. But um, what I was saying is that decisions are so important... Sometimes you need to do cut some things off. Your circle of friends should want to see you win. Your circle should clap the loudest when you have good news if they don't get a new circle. You see, it's often not what we do but what we don't do that will help us guard our heart and keep our passion going. There, I remember hearing an American preacher one day share many years ago, how he went to the birth of his first child and, uh, you know, beautiful, bouncing, 10-pound uh, baby boy, big uh, African-American guy. Imagine that, 10-pound. Oh, well, anyway, um, so that was fine. And then, and then they proceeded to, uh, to tie off the umbilical cord and, and uh, take the placenta. And he said, what are you doing that for? And he said, well, you know, if, if we don't cut it off, it'll, it'll end up poisoning the the baby and it'll die but it was the very thing that fed the baby nurtured the baby protected and filtered the uh, you know the, uh, the the things for the baby nourishment and so on but uh, he said you know I painted a great picture sometimes the very things that have made us who we are today 
other things will end up poisoning us if we don't cut them off. Think about that. See, I'm a very loyal person. I'm loyal to, you know, to people and to things, and it's very hard for me to let go of things. So, uh, so when we were packing and so on, um, I, I had to change my attitude, become passionate. Instead of going through the grief process of letting things go and saying, no, I can't have that anymore, that's a loss, I say, I'm going to become the best, biggest, most passionate philanthropist of all times. I'm going to gift this to the recycle centre. I'm going to sell this so somebody else can get the benefit of it. Aren't I fantastic? But maybe there's, there's, there's some thinking that we've got that we need to cut off. Maybe there's some friendships that we need to, maybe not necessarily totally ditch, but not have as much prominence in our life because all they do is bring us down. You hear what I'm saying? There's lots of things maybe, you know, when you were a child, you, you thought and spoke like a child, the Bible says. But as you grow to an adult, you've got to put on adult things. You hear me? What in your thinking, in your doing and the way you're doing it, do you need to cut off, let go, put through the dung, uh, dung gate uh, and get out of your life? And finally, this morning, there are three things. What do you need to keep doing, start doing or stop doing in order for you to guard your heart for the purpose of others? Maybe it's, I'm, I'm going to enter his gates with thanksgiving. I'm going to come with an attitude of gratitude. I'm not just going to say a grace anymore. I'm going to come acknowledging the grace that he's already blessed us with. This great day, this great place, for having great kids, for having a great partner, for, uh, for having opportunity, for still breathing today, for health, for whatever. When we can't, we can't look through the fog and the darkness of where things are going, let's start focusing on the things that we've got today and let's start... What are we doing? How are we doing it? And let's get a kingdom culture in our heart and in our spirit that's greater than the, 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 the rubbish that's out there in the world around us. That's a good word, isn't it? Encouraging word. But you know, it, it all paints a picture as well of a birth process. You see, something good in the birth process is going to come a baby. But Nehemiah... He could see that baby. He could see those walls there. He could see the, the whole area uh, of, of influence and prosperity and abundance. But he had to go through a painful birth. A lot of screaming. A lot of pain. But there's beauty on the other side of it. And that birth requires and starts with a decision. I remember my wife saying through one, one of our births, look, can we just stop this now? No. <laughs> You're committed. You've allocated resources. <laughs> We're going through with this. My uh, fingers, when I held her hand, it took a few months for the breaks to heal. <laughs> but I was with her every step of the way. So uh, the second time I never wore a ring because the ring, the ring's just a killer. Just chops you. But a birthing process requires good decisions that you don't go back on, not wishful intents. And, and I want to talk to you today and anybody who's, who's watching on the internet today, maybe 
your life has been shattered at some stage. Maybe the wall's down, the gates of authority, and the boundaries aren't in, and you're not feeling uh, passionate. You don't have that fire lit. Or maybe you've never come to a place where you've actually given your life to God. But being born again is a real experience. It's making a decision and a quality decision that you don't go back on. It's not just wishful intent. It's, it's actually a decision. I'm going to follow through on this. And that's that transition process going between the gates where when you, when you leave this place, you're different. You've got a new future and a new hope. You see, you can make a decision today to begin a relationship with God. If you've fallen away, you need to come back to Him. You can be born again afresh today by making a decision to ask God to come into your life, to change you, to make you new, to take your, your good stuff and your bad stuff from you and to give you a new heart and a new hope and a new future. Forgive you, wash you clean. Don't we need fresh starts in life? That's what the born again experience is. Start afresh with a good decision. I'm going to, in a minute, just ask everybody to, here in the, in the room to close their eyes and bow their heads. And at home, maybe you could do the same. And I'm going to ask you, if you want to have that born-again experience in your life, we say, God, I'm going to hand my life over to you. Help me re rebuild the walls of my life. Help me for healing and to make me whole and to be passionate uh, again in life. Then I want you to pray this prayer with me, after me. Asking God to come into your life to forgive you, cleanse you. You know, the Bible says He will. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll make you His child. So let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my need of you. I've lived life for myself, but today I choose to live for you. I give you all that I have and all that I am. All my successes and all my failures. I give them to you. I ask you to wash me clean. Set me on a new path. Make me your child today. Because I want to be born again. I thank you that you have forgiven me. And that I am a Christian which means Christ in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, if you've prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart and you've made a decision to pursue God, then like Nehemiah, Nehemiah had to come and help the city. And we need people around us who will encourage us in that decision to disciple us, to input, to lift us up and, uh, and to impart to us. So go and tell somebody, come up to somebody. Uh, get on the phone, maybe come to church. And, uh, and there's lots of people there that are going to encourage you and lift you up and inspire you and, and help you in your journey because that's what we do. God bless you. Thank you.